Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I am just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy and much more put together than I am this morning, <laughs> producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. How you doing, friend? Eight hours of sleep, man. I slept like a baby last night. It was great. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad for you. <laughs> I unfortunately uh, drank approximately a gallon of iced tea mm. uh, at Modern Magic. And so, therefore, I was a little bit more awake and didn't sleep as well. Also, there was a thunderstorm. Hashtag old man problems. <laughs> uh, I want to hear from you, though, dude. So, we have actually kind of a little bit to talk about. Um, but I want, I just want to talk about like what we've been playing this week, uh, before we get into some of the new, some of the new spoilers, there was another section of spoilers, Mm -hmm. um, yesterday. So what have you been up to? I have been on the standard kick and, um, I don't know if my enjoyment of standard is because standard is pretty decent or I'm just trying to stick it to historic right now because of this (laughs) digital only thing, right? Uh, no. I am enjoying standard. Uh, I'm finding the my opponents that I'm playing against. I'm finding the matchups to be very enjoyable. Um, I'm floating between Soltai Control, Demir Rogues, and this blue red mid range deck that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- while yes, I totally would love to have seen adventure cards and other things be removed for like this last whatever we're going to have month and a half of of standard i'm still enjoying it despite all of that um so there's nothing really new to say i feel like it's it's a good diverse meta game you can play a lot of things, and I think you'll have game against most of it, as long as you don't play against Winota. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm just actually really enjoying... I'm even enjoying like mirror matches of Sultai Control, uh, which I, I find to be actually pretty interesting as far as like how to sequence things with Arlen's Epiphany or when to kind of, you know, go off, I guess. So like all of this stuff is just making standard reasonably enjoyable yeah and may and maybe that's just not like the best take in the world in terms of like what people want to hear they want to either hear standard is amazing or it's mm. terrible and again it's fine like there are, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there are four or five good decks you can choose them unfortunately there might be some really serious card fatigue with some of these cards yes yes um but but it's reasonably balanced you can play any of these decks um, my stance has always been that bug, bug ramp, whatever bug ultimatum mm-hmm. has been the best deck, but uh, uh, the vibe online has been much more. Hey, the Winota deck is the best deck now. I don't know how true that is. I haven't been really experimenting too much with standard. As soon as standard kind of evaporated in paper in my local scene, it's really made it hard for me to engage with standard. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that that alters uh, sometime around rotation. Um, but, I mean, do you have thoughts? What's the deck that you think is the deck to beat? Is it Winona? It's either Winona or, or Sultai Control. I think Sultai Control has probably more game against the wider part of the metagame. But that Winona deck, it, it's kind of like Goblins. It's a little bit of a glass cannon sometimes. And if you just don't hit Wraths, like, I mean, that deck is going to win. And 
I've, I've said this, I'm, I'll be on the record completely. Winota is just an awfully designed card. The way that that works to just like dump all these cards onto the battlefield just to me is not interesting at all. Like I just, I find that card much, much like Muxus to just be like stupid and like how we can't have birthing pod in modern, <laughs> like what? But Winota is fine. Is just like, just doesn't make sense. We live in like this weird world right now with that. Yeah, I think Birthing Pod, while also problematic in a lot of ways, I think Birthing Pod is a more fun card to play against. Yes, yes. Because there's a lot more kind of play with what's going to happen, you don't know. Whereas Winota, it just feels like I'm facing down a D20 and 1 through 15 are hits for them. You know what <laughs> yep. I mean? It, yep. it, it's just like, okay, cool. Um, and... Winota is also on that list of cards that I'm really glad I haven't had to play against on paper. Like, mm. the few times I've been to a standard tournament, nobody's been on Winota. Uh, it's not that intriguing or engaging to me. So, there is that. Um, anything else you've been playing this week, Cameron? Has it been entirely standard? Just standard, yeah. And it's going to probably sadly slow down the next couple of weeks just because work is going to be insanely busy the next two weeks. Well... Yeah, well, let me pick up that slack for you because I'll probably be Good playing deal. standard. I So here's the thing, and I know there's been a lot of, like, really intense opinions about historic, but, like, um, this week I just kind of had to sit and think, and I think you and I both came to this moment of, like, I feel like I'm just kind of noping out of historic right now. Yep. I mean, we'll see kind of what happens down the line. Normally, this time of year where, you know, I feel like I've kind of drafted my fill of Adventures of Forgotten Realms, and I thought that was fantastic. Um, I'm kind of, you know, maybe I'll pop back on when there's a cube or something like that. Mm -hmm. But normally, this would be my time to really work historic and, like, leading into a new set and all that. And jumpstart historic while, you know, I've seen the rankings and the list of, apparently, they front-loaded the spoilers a lot, that... There's not nearly as many hard-to-get mythics and rares over the course of the, you know, Old Testament amount of <laughs> cards <laughs> that they're adding to this set. But it was just kind of like, between that, between the brainstorm, still not getting my wild cards, between purchasing the historic anthologies at full price and essentially, you know, those getting like, not only was it not that great, but essentially... After that was Mystical Archives, and they were just like, hey, these cards now really don't matter. Mm -hmm. um, it just kind of made me feel like, okay, I need to step away from this format, and now that there's not going to be any paper equivalent, which weirdly matters to me. Like, yeah. I, I realized there was a small chance that it would have ever been a paper format, but now that you're talking about it being a digital-only thing, I was just like, I'm really not interested now. Um, because for me, Digital Magic, and we talked about this a little bit last week, um, is a trainer for how my paper magic... To me, the paper magic element is the performance piece. And the digital is the practice, right? Yeah. Um, and so, for me, I was just kind of like... I, I mean, maybe I'll come back to it. Maybe I'll mess around. Maybe I'll have a deck or two. But what would normally be this, like, you know, harvesting season of, like, let me get all these historic jumpstart cards. Let me really get after it, which I did, like, with last jumpstart. I'm just kind of like... No, man, I'm I'm probably just going to stick to standard now mm -hmm. uh, on, on on this client. And uh, that was a weirdly freeing moment 
and I don't expect it to be like, you know, a lot of people, well, maybe it's just not for you. And it's like, well, okay, then it's not for me. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go and enjoy historic, fine, but they've just, they've kind of burned me a few too many times now. Um, and so because of that, I took a second to play, just check in. I'm going to talk about Flesh and Blood in our middle segment, but like, I was like, you know, let me ch- check in on some other card games and things like this. And I checked in on Eternal and um, it's still pretty good. Um, it's very much magic. <laughs> uh, if you are like me and you're kind of like hardwired uh, because you've been playing magic for 25 years, uh, I would recommend it. But it was just like, oh, I'll just do some of the campaigns in Eternal this week. And I got to play them on my Xbox because Eternal has a client on the Xbox and on Switch. Like, there's just all these things that Magic isn't doing. And you're like, when I pull up Eternal, which, to be fair, is an older game than Arena. Uh, But the amount of variation in how you can play and the amount of variation that is, like, present within the client, it's like, and this is a smaller company. How has this not happened Mm. for Arena? Arena is not new anymore. Right? No. (laughs) So, anyway... I did play Paper Magic, and I have been playing. I've been playing Paper about once every week, every other week at my shop. Um, played Modern. I played Storm, and again, my shop. And this is different for everybody. My shop's attendance is just uh, totally dissipating. Their standard tournaments have essentially entirely evaporated, and Modern used to be twenty some odd people. Last night I was at a seven man yeah. Modern tournament, and I mean, I went two and two, but both my losses were to the same guy because there were so few of us. So I went two and one, got into the top four, got paired against him again, and he was on, I was on Storm and he was on the black and white Stoneforge Stoneforge Mystic deck. And uh, I mean, Inquisition thoughts, he's, you know, he had all like basically just ripped my hand apart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, you kind of live in those matchups when you're Storm, you kind of live off the top of your deck. And sometimes it's very kind to you, and you just, oh, hey, you made me discard some spells. Oh, I top deck up, pass some flames, off we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, like, it's it's a really difficult matchup for me to win. Um, but, yeah, I so Modern is fine. I Again, I'm just kind of playing Storm, showing up and doing my thing. But it was just kind of this heartbreaking thing of, like, man, so few people are engaging with magic in my scene. Yeah. And when you're sitting there... There are people that keep coming in and buying the collector's boosters and stuff like that. It's like, I don't know how I feel about all this. Anyway, so what I want to do is we're going to take our break. We're going to come back. I do want to talk about the new spoilers um, for uh, uh, Innistrad Midnight Hunt, I think is the name of the set. But I also want to talk about Flesh and Blood, kind of my thoughts on it, and uh, where we're headed with organized play in that game. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So let's just start here. Have you ever heard of Flesh and Blood before today? What do you know about it? And is it for sale at your shop? I guess would be the next mm-hmm. thing I would want to know. So I know of Fresh Flesh and Blood just through the various nerd websites that I frequent, you know, and so I've seen it talked about um, and as something that can be a competitor to to any other TCG out there. Um, that's about all I know. I'm almost certain my shop sells it. I don't know if my shop is doing tournaments or anything. I haven't really talked about that. Um, I'll have to, uh, now that it's, you know, in 
my view. I'm sure I'm just going to see it everywhere. It's like, oh my gosh, this has actually been around for two years straight now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what a weird week it's been for that. So I always viewed flesh and blood as this thing that was a collector's bubble because when we were in quarantine, the boxes were going for obscene prices and, and I knew no one that was playing it, no one that was talking about playing it, whatever. Well, I started to see it at my shop a little bit more here and there. People would buy, people would play, just like casual, like kind of the game in between games of magic, or they would be trading these cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but my like off-the-cuff conversations with guys that work at the shop, I'm like, is this a real game? And they would say, I don't know. We don't really have, you know, we post that there's an event, but nobody really shows up. And then this week, they announced their organized play in the U.S. And this actually, there's kind of a couple levels here. Um, but I, it is worth pointing out that Channel Fireball is running some of these Grand Prix, or it's in partnership with Channel Fireball. There's Las Vegas, Cincinnati, Fort Worth. I think I'm missing one. Orlando. Like, this is in the fall. So, like, mm-hmm. within the next six months... They're going to run these events with for real prize support. And tell me if you've heard this before. Top eight will qualify for a pro tour. There's a national championship. Like, this is essentially a copy-paste of how Magic's competitive scene have run. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I want to set aside Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Because I have a very cursory knowledge of those games. And I think we would all... Those are established games, right? Like, mm-hmm. th- those are mm-hmm. not... You know, hey, those have been around for 20 plus years as well. Those are, I'd say, Magic, Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh! are kind of the big three. Okay. Can, uh, what would Flesh and Blood have to do to accomplish this? Because I think you and I could both agree this is an insanely uphill task, right? It, yeah, yeah. In some ways, it seems completely um, like you're running up against a wall. And like, how do you actually defeat this monolith that is Magic the Gathering, right? But, but over the past however many years, like you probably could like do a like a supercut of us just talking about how Wizards has completely dropped the ball on like high level tournament play, right? Everything from how it's covered to the prize structure to reneging on like these big, you know, payouts that they were supposed to be doing. If Flesh and Blood can just be consistent. And honor certain things. Um, And if Wizards just continues to kind of like drop the ball with this high level tournament play, I could see this maybe not toppling Magic the Gathering, but actually legitimately being a, um, a contender. Maybe. I'm actually hopeful for that because it might set Wizards on a path that I think they need to re. Um, re-navigate to, I guess, you know? Yeah, I think I think the thing is, like, not what can Flesh and Blood do, is how much is Watsy going to vacate this space? Yeah. Because if... There are no there are no Grand Prix for Magic the Gathering in the fall. There are four Grand Prix for Flesh and Blood. Like, at that clip, <laughs> I mean, eventually, all the people that are us, right? The the people that are maybe a little bit older that are want to travel to GPs that are within a few hours drive for them or at their mm-hmm. home city and play and have an experience with their friends. Um Wizards of the Coast isn't offering that for Magic Together. Now look, there are COVID concerns, Delta variant, all the like I'm just going to yeah. set all that aside for a minute. 
And we're just going to talk about like this in terms of if things fully go, like if things are on full blast again, right? What needs to happen? And look, yes, there are a million TCGs that have come along that have tried this, that have tried some like Warcraft even before Hearthstone had a competitive scene. There was a versus scene, you know, on and on and on. There are a few important differences here. Number one, um, again, this is probably the all-time low for competitive organized play for Magic, right? Mm-hmm. And number two, because the collector's market took hold of flesh and blood before it became like a regularly played game, that oddly might work for its advantage because you've already created a secondary market. Hmm. So there's already cards that are worth in excess of $100. And that really puts the sting out of, for some people, to open a box. Because instead of opening a box, because the boxes are like 75 bucks or something, instead of opening a box and saying, this is entirely valueless, now you have like a trading market for it, right? Um, and that weirdly works towards Flesh and Blood's advantage, that there's a secondary mm-hmm. market kind of going into it. Um but again, this is a real uphill battle. I think if Watsi actually goes, hey, oh man, we're losing this space. We really got to juice organized play. It could really put flesh and blood in its rear view. The question is, will it do that? And I think the answer right now is no, just based upon what we're seeing. Um, I think that the all-time example, because there are very few examples where there is a company with a massive market share that lose to a company with a little market share. The, the all-time example of this is Sega right mm. nintendo heading into whatever 1990 had a like 95% share of the home market right and sega did end up blowing it but they got that down to them having 50% of the home mm. market share and that was through incredibly aggressive and targeted marketing and it looks like i mean like lsv is making videos for flesh and blood right mm-hmm. and they're very highly targeted the professor tolarian community college he has a video this week about how he's going to one of these callings and he thinks flesh and blood is theoretically viable. Now, here's what I'll tell you, Cameron. I ended up spending a little bit of money on this too. So I had some cards that I was selling off and I would normally use this to acquire standard cards right now for post-rotation. So think of this as Goldspan Dragon money, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, I was going to buy like Goldspan Dragons, like fill out my pathways, all this, but like standard is just straight up not firing where I'm at, like not at all. So I was like, okay, well, if I go to one of these Flesh and Blood events, it's going to be a sealed event. I'm going to buy a couple boxes and just practice playing sealed. Um, The game is quite good. Um, It is immensely complex. I went into it with a very arrogant attitude of the, you know. Legacy player. (laughs) Yeah, you know, put my hair back, you know, like, come on, come on, how hard? How hard could this possibly be? And then I watched some of the videos and I'm like, Oh, this is quite a bit different. And some of this is, again, I've been playing Magic for like 26 years. That's like wired into my brain. And Mm -hmm. so like little differences mean a big, like are huge for me. Um, But the thing, the the complexity is incredible. Like it really does feel like you're playing Legacy. Okay. Uh, The other thing I would mention is, yes, there are cards that cost like a lot of money, like there are $100 cards. First of all, the generic deck, there are three copies of every card, but the expensive ones are only one-ofs, and they can go between your deck. So yeah, it's like, yeah, you're spending $100, but it's not like, 
I mean, a playset of Goldsman Dragons is like whatever, 120. So, and that goes in one deck where it's like, because this in in Flesh and Blood, I'm not explaining this very well. You are playing a character, and it's virtually like a fist fight between you and I. Okay. Okay. And so your character wears equipment. So there's kind of a Diablo esque element to it of you customizing the equipment that's on your hero character. And the equipment is what gets like super highly valued, right? Okay. Um, but the thing that's cool about it is it the gameplay is like the stack and legacy. Like if you're one of these people that really likes a stack where it's like mm. dark ritual, you know, and then there's a force of will, and then there's a pact to negate. Like mm-hmm, it's basically mm-hmm. that all the time. Nice. Okay. Um, but anyway, so the game is immensely complex. But here's what's weird, and I thought this was a huge disadvantage going into it. Now I'm kind of coming around to the idea that it's actually a huge strength. They have said there is not going to be a digital client. So for me, as somebody that's like used to learning games at home and like practicing games at home, I was like, oh, how am I going to learn this? How am I going to get good at this? You know? Yeah. Um, but I, I would equate it to like with Dark Souls doesn't have checkpointing, right? Like it doesn't <laughs> autosave. At first you're like, did these guys play games this deck? But like what ends up happening is it's like, oh yeah, that slows the metagaming way down. Mm-hmm. forces you to like actually goldfish a deck like at your house yeah and then it's also like if i want to play i have to actually go somewhere and like meet new people and play this thing so i'm going to give this a try probably over the next month and see um fingers crossed that it ends up being a decent competitor and spurs watsy on because i don't think yeah. even though like pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh exist i don't think they view them as competitors i could be wrong there I mean, they've been around for so long. They're just these other things, right? I don't, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know how much crossover audience there is um, because I'm a little bit older than I think some of these people that grew up with Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! But I've always felt distant from those properties because I don't know them, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to play the card game because I don't know the show. My son is really into Pokemon now. Um, and I have very cursory thoughts on the card game because we played with starter decks. Um Last warning I'll give you. The starter decks, like, so wait, there are starter decks for okay. Flesh and Blood. You can pick up a starter deck or two. You will think, oh, a starter deck, how could, hard could it be? They are really complex out of the gate. <laughs> awesome. Right? So if you're the kind of person that looks for, like, in-depth gaming, there is that. All right. So, Cameron, back to Magic. Let's talk about Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Um... I posted a few of the spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good ones here. Uh, why don't you lead us off with Consider? Probably the best card. Yeah, Consider. It's an instant that costs one blue. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard, then draw a card. Um, this is a really good card mechanic, man. And at instant speed, I, I really like it. Um, I feel like this is just going to go right into uh, you know, whatever blue-white control list, a blue-black tempo list. I mean, like, it, it has a lot of value. Um, and if some sort of great yard mechanic is there, I mean, putting that in, it's going to be great. And this might actually have application for um, Eternal formats as well, I think. Yeah, I think you play it in Modern Phoenix, mm-hmm. which is, you know, super tier two at this stage of the game. Um, but, you know, it's... And in that deck, it plays like low rent thought scour, mm-hmm. but pioneer 
Phoenix is a thing. Historic Phoenix is a thing. You're going to play that. Uh, I mean, like, I'll, there's a lot of situations where this is just better than Opt mm -hmm. because of interactions with Torrential Gear Hulk, with interactions with Searcher's Kanta. So there's, there are occasions where Opt is better that you don't want to put something into your graveyard. People are like, those are so minute. It's like, eh, some of these decks post-board, um, you know, whenever you're playing against Graveyard Hate, suddenly this becomes kind of a bigger deal. Mm -hmm. um, but a very, very, very strong, like, card. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with what I think is the most overrated card, Cameron. <laughs> and that is Champion of the Perished. Okay? So... Ah, uh, 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 very funny. Uh, it is a one black for a 1-1 one, one zombie. And when another zombie enters the battlefield, you put a 1-1 one, one counter on it. So instead of Champion of the Parish, he's zombified with zombies. Um, and there might be, like, Innistrads of the past have resulted in zombie decks, and this mm -hmm. might see constructed play. But I think right off the bat, this was the talk in the shop last night, is this good enough to put modern zombies over the top? And it's like... The answer to that is a strong no, right? This is not yeah. the problem with zombies decks. And also, like, can we just stop with, like, the tribal, like, the mm. random tribal? Yes, those are, quote, modern decks, like, in, in the sense that I am a basketball player. But, like, it is not, <laughs> it, it is not a, a real thing that's actually going to win you any games. What do you think of this one? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's totally fine. It's a. It, it's a good standard card, I think. And if there is some sort of like zombie synergy synergy there, sure, put this in. It's going to be great. It's going to be super annoying to play against because it might just become a six six, and you have to deal with that. Um, beyond that, though, yeah, no. <laughs> it's just not champion. Like I know people are like it's just like champion of the parish. It's like except for that deck, like humans and modern, which is just kind of medium at this stage of the game has all these other things. Mm -hmm. Zombies just come back from the graveyard. You know what I mean? Like, there's just not a lot of utility zombies. There's not a meddling mage zombie. I mean, maybe I'll eat my words. Maybe they'll print one. Um, <laughs> I probably just gave them a terrible idea. Like, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what else you got for us, Cameron? Uh, play with fire. It's another instant, costs one red. Play with fire deals two damage to any target. If a player is dealt damage this way, scry one. Um, a really interesting shock. I mean, having that utility of being able to scry on top of just like pinging somebody for two damage is great. Um, if there's a mono red deck, I'm going to once again just really not like this, but um, th this is going to go in. It's a, a nice little removal spell, but just being able to Ping your opponent for two and scry is is good, I think. Dude, get out your paper shredder. Get those shocks. Put them in. It's true. What's the I, point? It, yeah, what's the point anymore? I, like, hey, um, I'm the guy that, like, look, this is a very good card. It's going to be a very good standard card. Might have Pioneer applications. I think in modern, because Bolt exists and, you know... It, the the necess the needs for this kind of go way down once you hit like modern up, um, but standard this is going to see a ton of play, and you know maybe historic and pioneer, so like huge in that sense. Uh, but it bums me out every time we do this where we mm. take a classic like all time magic card and say, yeah we're just gonna you know print a new one. 
it's slightly better and that's it guys sorry um i know like sometimes it's just got to happen by virtue of the amount of cards that you're designing and let's make this clear they're designing a lot of cards these days yeah uh but there was the accumulated knowledge variant too that kind of bummed me out too where it was just like oh you just made a strictly better one of this like staple card from magic's history okay awesome so good card bums me out time progresses and you know we're all mortal etc etc dust you just want to yeah if you just want to put play landslide right here (laughs) that'd be fine um anyway uh last one infernal grass one in a black instant destroy target creature you lose two life hey let me break this down for you really good standard card not good enough for modern what do you think (laughs) Yeah, I was straight up better than Doomblade. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I mean, not all the time, but I mean, destroy any creature, lose two life. I mean, sure, I'll gladly lose two life to destroy your whatever black creature that I can't do with Doomblade. So, like, uh, limited powerhouse, I, I, this will be pack one, pick one probably for me a lot of times. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then standard, yeah, just straight up good. Yeah, like... Um the the question I I've, I've seen floated around is like is this modern playable and I think the answer to that is a big time no yeah um like even Death Shadow which again now Death Shadow is like on the fringes of modern um it's probably like the twelfth best deck or something I'd have to look at Goldfish but it's not you know what it once was um Dismember is so much better in that deck because Dismember gives you the like scalability. The modes, sure, yeah. Of yeah. like, hey, I need to lose zero life. I can pay for that, you know, whatever. Or I can like lose four if I want to. Whereas this, like you're always locked into two. And so there's a, some amount of time where it's just not going to do the thing you want. And Dismember gets almost everything, right? Like mm-hmm. it's really hard to think of a thing that you cannot kill. Um, and then Heartless Act again is like probably better in modern. If you're really looking for two mana, I need to kill something right now. It's really hard to come up with what creatures have counters on them, like affinity creatures, basically. Uh, I guess Champion of the Parish, but it's not a lot. So um, I guess the whole human stack gets counters, right? That's kind of the point. Yeah, I guess it does, yeah. So anyway, Cameron, let's get out of this segment, come back, talk about what else we've been up to. All right, Cameron, so... Woodstock 99 is what you've written here. Did you go? <laughs> Felt like I did. Uh, no. <laughs> so Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage is a documentary that's on HBO. Uh, this one spoke to me on a, such an interesting level because it is of our generation, dude. Like, I mean... I remember the Woodstock 94 and Woodstock 99, and I remember that Woodstock 99 was kind of bad because I remember, like, fires were happening during, like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers set. Um, But that's all I remember. But they really kind of just show, like, how bad that concert was. Um, Everything from, like, people just destroying the venue and lighting it on fire to the horrible facilities that they had to the $4 bottles of water that when it was a hundred something degrees, um, on top of just the strangest, most late nineties sets that you could possibly have on a Saturday night. It was, (laughs) 
Alanis Morissette opening up for Limp Biscuit, <laughs> followed by Rage Against the Machine, and then Metallica. Uh, so, you know, like, there's a reason why I think there's a riot that happened at that uh, <laughs> concert. Would you say um, it was a little ironic, Cameron? I might say it was a little ironic. Like, Jewel was there and opening up with, like, Bush. It was just, like, the weirdest, like, like I said, the most late 90s, like, let, let, just... Let's grab out the bingo ball thing and pull out like whatever late 90s bands. And that was essentially Woodstock. Um, Just really, really strange. I I really enjoyed this because it not only kind of just enlightened me as far as like what was happening for Woodstock, but it really kind of crystallized a lot of like the, the, the pop culture of the time. It goes into kind of like that weird TRL MTV thing where, you know, in the 90s, I remember watching like nirvana and like radiohead and all these things and like these guys are like incredible and that was being aired on mtv and then there was like this teeny bopper thing that was also happening and trl was kind of like the pinnacle of like you would see rob zombie with like you know britney spears and it's like these two things just don't seem like they mash up well and this doc really kind of i don't know crystallizes in a way that that weird time that we kind of lived in for music. So it's an interest. I mean, it's two hours long. It's an interesting doc. I would totally recommend it. One day I will have HBO max again mm. and I will, um, I'll have to check it out. Now I, I, uh, I actually had Hulu live for the Olympics. Oh yeah. And man, I could do a whole show on how bad Hulu's, uh, live interface is. It is like incredibly, incredibly terrible. Hmm. Um, dude, I'll have to check that out. I, um, I, I guess I have a fascination with that era of music. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, for me, I want to talk a little retro game here. So I, I am kind of at the closing stages of Mass Effect Three, like I'm getting there, and uh, just to kind of touch base on that game again, uh, and the weird highs and lows because it is definitely a game that has some. Very strange lows on some very high highs. The Legendary Edition comes with all the DLC, and some of the DLC for that game was really good. Hmm. Um, I just wrapped up the Leviathan DLC and loved it. Loved it, and I loved how it connected to all the previous ones. So, um, again, just loving my kind of tour through Mass Effect. God knows how many hours I've spent on all three games. Um, But just still some really high-quality stuff. So... As you know, I've been kind of engaged with the three-quarters arcade world Mm -hmm. uh, over the course of this summer and just kind of adding, uh, kind of putting together a game room in my basement. Well, a few weeks ago, I guess a month ago, I ordered the Neo Geo MVSX, and it got here, and it was a brick. Like, it wouldn't turn on. So I had to get it replaced, so it took forever. I finally got it this week. Cameron, I'm just going to ask you this. Did you know anyone that owned a Neo Geo home console when you were a kid? My cousin had one, and I remember desperately wanting to go to the cousin's house to play it. But that was like a diamond in the rough, right? I mean, there was nobody, none of my friends had one. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was it was the one, right? Because it was so expensive. Mm-hmm. Games were like two hundred bucks in the nineties <laughs> for these things. Okay, and they were 
full on this is the arcade so this was like this was like the grail right mm-hmm. and so you know you can rebuy some of these games on switch like they've been re-released to death but for me the neo geo experience was playing a machine at the arcade mm-hmm. right and playing samurai showdown or metal slug or whatever so the mvsx is a um three-quarter arcade it's like about the same size as an arcade one up it's slightly smaller and it's loaded with 50 neo geo games okay 30 of which are fighters. (laughs) So it is a fighting game machine. There's some other really cool stuff on it. Um, But what what an interesting experience it is uh, going back through like Metal Slug or Samurai Showdown, games that I have purchased for the Switch or the PlayStation 4. And now I'm experiencing them Hmm. in the arcade. And it's a case study in how much the venue matters with which you engage the game, right? Um, and I'll give you an example in uh, Garou, Mark of the Wolves, which is the last Fatal Fury game. It got re-released on PlayStation 4. It's on all those consoles. And I've played it, and a lot of people consider this one of the greatest fighting games ever made, okay? It's hyper-rare. The real physical version is, like, incredibly expensive collector's item. Downloaded it for PlayStation 4, loved it, but didn't like, I mean, I just played it a little bit, said, hey, this is a really good fighting game. But mm-hmm. the PlayStation 4 controller, I would say charitably, not a great fighting controller. Okay. Now I play it every morning on my arcade machine just because the way in which you engage it and the way it's like it's built for a, jo- you know, a joystick and it's mm. built for these buttons and you just feel what the designers had in mind a little bit more strongly. Um, so there's that. My son has unfortunately become obsessed with Metal Slug. <laughs> awesome. So anytime I'm on any of the machines, he just comes down and his line is, Dad, I just want to play Metal Slug. He lays down his quarter. It's like, I'm yeah. next. <laughs> Dad, I'm like, hey, do you want to go back to play some Slug? Dad, I just want to play Metal Slug. Which is, I think, not only a, a mood, but a state of mind. I just want to play Metal Slug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh- <laughs> I mean, I felt that whenever they were announcing the historic digital-only games <laughs> or digital-only cards, man, I just want to play Metal Slug. Yeah. You know? Yep. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so this thing, like, it's it's five hundred bucks for the thing, and which is about the price of a, most arcade one-ups right now. Some of the arcade one-ups are four hundred, and some mm-hmm. are like five, six, seven. Um, I think this is the most bang for your buck in terms of the three-quarter arcade. I mean, it should go without saying it's fifty bucks or 500 bucks and it's got 50 games where most of the arcade one-ups are three, four games. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the difference is though, like you can feasibly find an arcade one up like on Facebook marketplace for much cheaper. Uh, and that's not really an option with this because it's something that you have to order. Um, mm. I got mine through walmart.com or whatever, and they had it. But second thing I'll mention with this, I've not delved into this, but the people, I don't know if they, it was a mistake or something they intended uh, but there is a USB port on the back of this thing. <laughs> uh, and so, surprise, surprise, it's already been hacked. Of course, yeah. So if you're the kind of person that would like an arcade machine that would like have not 50 games, but like many games from that era, this can do that, apparently. Yeah. I have not personally hacked it. Whereas the arcade one-ups, yes, you can do that, but you have to like rip out the guts, put in a Raspberry yeah. Pi. Like it's a lot more, I would say, invasive. Um but anyway, big thumbs up for that system, man. So anyway, if someone would like to get a hold of you and and talk to you about um, 
Woodstock 99 and uh, their full catalog of Limp Bizkit albums, where could they find you? It's on Twitter at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at Spike Feed MTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>